Our sermon text this morning, as we are continuing through the book of Ecclesiastes, is Ecclesiastes chapter 8. We'll be looking at the entire chapter. And as I was working through this sermon text this week, it struck me how often the, the Solomon, the preacher, repeats familiar refrains. And we're going to see that again. And I wonder, well, why does he do that? For one, it makes it hard for pastors to preach because we feel like we're preaching the same thing again and again and again. But it kind of goes back to what we just realized with that song is we need to hear the same truth again and again and again when that truth points us to the mercy of God in Christ our Lord. And so I pray and hope that is what his word will do this morning. Ecclesiastes 8, beginning in verse 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. The word of the king is supreme and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, though a man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from more, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. But it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth and there are, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked and that there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity and I commend joy. For man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful for this will go with him in his toil the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night to do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though the wise man claims to know, he cannot 
find it out. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father, again, as we come to your word, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would speak to us this morning, that you would indeed be merciful to us and give us understanding so that we might enjoy the life that is ours in Christ our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, it seems that things like roller coasters, carnival rides, those are polarizing things. You you either love them or you hate them. I don't think I've met anybody that's just like, eh, whatever, I can take them or leave them. I'm sure there are people like that, but they seem to be like, Brussels sprouts and asparagus. You either like them or you hate them. There's no in-between. I think the reason people hate rides like that is because they either get terribly sick from the motion sickness or they are just terrified of the speed and the movement that uh, they experience because they are out of control. And what we've been seeing in Ecclesiastes here is that life under the sun is like a ride at an affair or an amusement park. It spins and dips and twists and loops and turns. It goes quickly down one hill and slowly up another. And that is an observation that, that Solomon, the preacher king, he's made often in this book. Back back in chapter 7, recently we saw that life can be tangled and confusing, a paradox And we need the wisdom of God then in order to navigate it, to understand it, to live in this world. Well, in our text this morning, he's continuing with that theme of wisdom. And he's zeroing in on how we use the wisdom that God gives us and gives to those who seek him. So that we might live this life in a way that glorifies him. And he begins in verse 1 with a couple of parallel questions. He asks, who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? The, the idea is, is that the wise are the ones that are to, able to understand or interpret the things that happen in this life. And he's seeking to answer those questions through the rest of Ecclesiastes. He's going to show us how we can live life according to the wisdom that God gives us if we ask Him. Solomon may have had in mind here the actual wise men in the the court, court of ancient Near Eastern kings. Ancient kings would consult such wise men regarding important matters, things that needed to be decided in the kingdom for its benefit, for its prosperity, whether they should go to war or not, how to interpret things like dreams or or certain astrological events. And in the Scriptures, Joseph was such a man in the court of Pharaoh in Egypt. And he was able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams and give clarity and insight that was important in the decisions that needed to be made in the kingdom of Egypt. What we notice in Scripture is that Joseph didn't manufacture those interpretations. He didn't come up with them himself. Instead, he trusted in God to reveal to him, to to make sense of them. And he simply communicated what God revealed. 
And like Joseph, we need God's wisdom to give us the interpretation, the the sense of this life that we live in this world. And he does that through his wisdom. And so think of God's wisdom as an interpretive lens, something that you look through. As you look upon the world, as you look upon your life and try to understand it, it is a way of seeing the world and responding accordingly to it. And that is what the preacher wants us to consider when he asks this question, who is like the wise? Who is able to see the world so they can understand it and respond to it in such a way that they know God's blessing rather than his cursing? You see, wisdom, God's wisdom that he gives us, helps heal the spiritual motion sickness we experience by living in this roller coaster of a world that is spinning out of control. As Solomon says, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. This is the idea of of health that he's getting at. Health was thought to be uh, determined by the look on one's face. So a face that was dark and uh, sunken and uh, reflected sickness. It reflected that someone was not well, that they were ill. But a face that was bright was one that showed health, good health. And a person then who looks upon this world through this lens of God's wisdom will have his or her face brightened. They will have a healthy outlook. They will understand. They will not be so disturbed that they are completely overwhelmed by what happens. But the one who tries to see this world and make sense of it through their own understanding will become hardened in the face. And they will become frustrated at the things that are beyond their control as humans. Like motion sickness brought on by a roller coaster, life under the sun will make you sick if you try to view it through anything other than the wisdom of God. Now, when we think of a wise person, we think of a person who knows many things. That's kind of the stereotype, right? Someone who knows a lot. And there's some truth to that. Wisdom does involve knowing certain things. A wise person in the scriptures, a wise person who has the wisdom of heaven, the wisdom that God gives through his grace, is a person who is also characterized by what they do not know. They know that they don't know everything. And that's the big idea of this chapter is that a wise person knows that they do not know everything, so they trust God who does. And he shows us some examples of that. He shows us first that the wise know that they don't know how to win every battle and they should not fight every battle. The preacher brings us into the court of a king And of course, in his world, a king was the highest level of authority in the land. This was the political power of his day. And he says in verse 2, I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. He's saying, obey what the king says. 
because of God's oath. And what he means by that is that God has put these human authorities into the position that they have. Kings, governors, indeed all leaders, presidents and senators and mayors, even employers. And they are all in that position because of God's providence. God has put them there. He has established structures of human authority upon this earth. And he says, for that reason, you ought to listen to the king's command. And to resist the king or anyone in authority and and to enter into conflict then with them is no light thing. It's picking a battle, going to war against an established authority. And sometimes that is necessary. The scriptures are clear about that. They never demand unquestioning obedience of all in positions of power in every situation. But what Solomon is getting at here is that if we are to be wise, we will be careful about the battles we do fight. He's urging caution. He says, don't be not hasty to go from the king's presence and do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. You see, sometimes kings do stand in evil causes. They will do what they want. They will resist God's authority. Don't take your stand with them in those evil causes. But also, do not be hasty to flee from their presence. When you disagree with them, don't rush out in anger. As you choose to rebel against them, be careful. After all, he wants us to remember, the king has great power. His word is supreme, he says. It's the law of the land. And who can say to him, what are you doing? So again, the point is, be careful. Be cautious with the authorities that God has established. Don't fight every battle. Fight the important ones that run contrary to God's word. Because you cannot control what human authorities will do. Human powers, they will do things, they will make decisions, they will take actions over which you have no influence. And human authority and government is so arbitrary. Think about our own system of government. I mean, we're very familiar with it. We have the freedom to vote and cast our vote and elect certain representatives based on the policies that they promise and the agendas they claim they'll follow. But then they get into power, and how often do we find they do the opposite of what they told us while they were on the campaign trail? And so even in a system of government, where as people, uh, generally speaking, we have more control than other civilizations of the past, we find out that really we do not have as much control as we hoped we had. So we realize we must guard our trust when it comes to human authority, even those whom we expect to rule rightly. Like Psalm 146.3 tells us and warns us to put not your trust in princes. Don't let your confidence of salvation and redemption 
for a better world that glorifies God rest in senators and representatives and judges and mayors. Let it rest instead in the high king of heaven. Oftentimes, it is the kings, the princes of this world that in attempting to resolve the problems and the conflicts, they simply add to them. But as we see, just because there is a conflict doesn't mean that it's a wise thing to get involved in it. For the wise person understands when it is right to fight the battle or not. As Solomon says here in verse 5, the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. See, the idea is discernment. That is the key. So, uh, Proverbs 26, verses 4 through 5 is a really interesting text. And I think it explains this idea of needing discernment well when it comes to seeing the issues of the day and deciding what we must speak the truth of God against and what we mu- where we must remain silent. Uh, the uh, Solomon in Proverbs writes, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And then he says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. You see, sometimes it's right to engage the foolishness of this world, and other times it is better to remain silent. We must rely on the wisdom of God in those situations. But to be careful about the hills on which we choose to die. And Jesus is a great example of this. In Matthew 22, there the Pharisees try to trick him with that question about paying taxes to Caesar. Do you remember that? He said, uh, they said to Jesus, tell us then, after they gave him a coin, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? They wanted to get him into this debate about whether it was right for they as Jewish people to pay taxes to an evil ruler like Caesar. And Jesus isn't going to get drawn into the debate. He's not going to fight that battle. He responded with wisdom and he said, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things to their gods. He understood that not all battles were worth fighting. Caesar could be paid his taxes and God could be honored. Respect human authority and worship God. That is the way of wisdom. But as noted, not every conflict, not every battle can be avoided, nor should it be. There are battles that we should fight. There are times to answer the fool according to his folly. That's what Solomon's getting at here in Ecclesiastes 8. For when God's authority is challenged by an earthly authority, we who are his people are in the right to call men to the truth. To call them to repentance. We, like Peter, can say we ought to obey God rather than men. And not to remain silent when tyrants hurt and oppress others and make laws that violate the supreme law of heaven. But in order to fight those battles well, the important ones regarding the truth, 
We need to have wisdom to avoid those lesser ones and be careful around the king. Wisdom knows that it does not have the influence or the ability, nor should it, fight every battle. And so it trusts God with those matters. But the wise also know that they do not have the foresight or the knowledge to evade every trouble. So they know they should not fight every battle, and the wise know they cannot evade every trouble. Ecclesiastes 8.6 For there is a time and a way for everything, although a man's trouble lies heavy on him. Solomon, the preacher king, has elaborated on this in the past in, in, in Ecclesiastes. In fact, back in chapter 3, we learn that there is a time for everything under the sun. There's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. So trouble, distress, disaster, difficulty, they all have their time in our lives. And we don't know when those times will come. The preacher says that lies heavy, like a great weight upon the heart of man. It is on his laying upon his chest, making it difficult to breathe. Much worry and fretting and anxiety come from this, this uncertainty of when the trouble times will come. And so much of our existence and energy and resources as humans on this earth is spent actually trying to predict that so that we can avoid it. We fret and we fear and we fail to enjoy the life God gives us because we focus so much on the unknown trouble that seems to lurk around the corner, which may or may not happen. And that kind of existence truly is a misery. It does harden the face and sicken the soul. But wisdom, as we see, is the remedy. It knows what it cannot do. It knows that it can't prevent all trouble from happening. Nor can it see exactly when it's going to come. The wise know what they don't know. And they don't know how to stop the bad things from happening. A wise person knows that they don't know the future. As Solomon says in verse 7, they don't know how to prevent death. And they do not know how to escape things like war. And most importantly, the wise know that wickedness is no escape from trouble. Too often, people do try to escape trouble by turning inwardly to those sinful inclinations of their fallen hearts. But as we know from the Scriptures, sin cannot save you from trouble. For sin itself is the very cause of calamities and suffering and pain in this world. Because life under the sun is a life in a world plagued by the curse of sin Trouble happens. Calamities come. The entire world is groaning under the weight of the curse of our sin, which we have brought upon it. 17th century English pastor Thomas Watson wrote, 
Man is born to trouble. He is heir apparent to it. He comes into the world with a cry and he goes out with a groan. The wise know they cannot escape every trouble under the sun. And they know that they cannot nor should not fight every battle. And third, they see that the wise know that they cannot fix every injustice. Verse 14 echoes a familiar refrain. There's a vanity that takes place on the earth, writes the preacher, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. So here the preacher is bringing us back to that paradox he spoke of back in chapter 7 and verse 15. Sometimes the righteous suffer and sometimes the wicked prosper. And that seems backwards. What is up is down. What is left is right. What is good is called bad. What is bad is called good. And this is a grave injustice. And the preacher elaborates on it further in verse 10 here. He says, I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place. And were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, senseless. The wicked are buried with honor. And they are praised in the city. Evil is celebrated and righteousness is mocked. And what Solomon observes in the world is exactly what we see in the world today. Especially in our current cultural moment. I mean, who would think that we would have come to a point where we have a whole month now dedicated to what? The celebration of sexual perversion and pride. Which both, we know, are contrary to God's word and his law. And what is good is called evil. What is evil is called good. And the whole order of God's creation and His law is turned upside down. There's another problematic observation that the preacher sees though here in this problem of injustice in the world. And that is not only do the wicked celebrate their sin and his, his evil is celebrated, but the fact that they are not punished quickly for their evil deeds leads to others engaging in it as well. So he says in verse 11, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. When sin goes unchecked, it leads others to engage in it. And why shouldn't they? There seems to be little to no consequence. So do what you want. Live according to how you feel you should live. And what are the wise to do in that kind of world? Because it certainly is spinning and looping like a roller coaster. How do they avoid the motion sickness that is there by this great injustice of depravity that exists in the world? I mean, when you try to stop it, it feels like you're completely overwhelmed. It just runs you over. 
Of course, as we see this, we know we are not to remain silent in the face of wickedness when it is celebrated. We are not to hide away. Jesus said that as the church, as his people, citizens of his kingdom, we are salt and we are light. That is what God has made us. To shine light of truth upon the world and to flavor it with the grace of the gospel. Or to proclaim the righteousness of heaven and reflect to the world the light of God's grace, showing that the way of heaven's wisdom is the better way. But in doing that, we realize that we aren't the ones that fix all the injustice that we see. We don't stop all the sin. Isaiah, the prophet, in Isaiah 6, He gets his commission from God to go and prophesy, to proclaim God's truth, to call the people of Judah to repentance from their idolatry. And he is told by the Lord that you're going to preach to a people who have ears, but they don't hear, and eyes, but they don't see. And so Isaiah asked the Lord, he says, well, how long am I going to do this for? Because that sounds really hard. (laughs) How long, Lord? I mean, are they going to be like Nineveh and... Show some repentance? When are your people going to repent? How long? And God's reply to him is, well, until the cities lay in waste, until the houses are without people, until the land is a desolate waste. That's how long. Until my judgment comes. That sounds horrible. (laughs) But you see... Isaiah's calling wasn't to fix the people of Judah. It wasn't to stop all the injustice that was taking place in Jerusalem and in the temple. It wasn't to end all the oppression. Oh, he preached against it. He proclaimed God's truth against it. He exposed it and brought it to light. But it was God who brought judgment upon those who continued to do evil. And it was God who brought salvation to those who repented. And there was a remnant who was saved. The point is, we don't fix all the evil. That is the work of the Lord. The wise know that. They know they cannot fix every injustice in the world. They know they cannot win every battle. And they know they cannot avoid all trouble. But if wisdom only involves knowing what you don't know, knowing that you can't do all those things, well, then it really would be a useless way of life. That wouldn't bring joy to the face, brightness to the face, at all. If, if wisdom was only the realization that things are bigger and messier and so out of control that we can't possibly fix them, that would be a sorrowful way to live. But that is not the only thing that we know. You see, the wise know that while they cannot know everything, they do know God who does. The wise man is not the person who thinks he knows everything, has every answer to all of life's problem. But the wise man is the person who says, I know the one who does. 
He doesn't pretend to be something he is not. But he is honest and real with who he is. The wise man acknowledges that he doesn't have all the answers. And so the preacher says in verse 12, Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. This is his response to that enigma of the wicked prospering and the righteous suffering. And notice that little word, yet. Because yet means there's more to the story. Yet means there is hope for this world that is spinning out of control. Yet is the gospel. The wise man knows that sometimes sinners will do evil a hundred times over and live a long life. Yet, yet, it will be well for those who fear God. And it will not go well for those who persist in their sin. You see, injustice is temporal, but justice is eternal. Injustice is temporal. It only exists in this world. But justice is eternal because God is perfectly just and God is eternal. Therefore, things will not go well for sinners who continue in their sin. Verse 13, it will not be well with the wicked. Neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. The wicked may prolong their days on the earth, but only on the earth. It will not go on forever. Eventually the sun of God's justice will rise on the shadow of their lives and His holiness will burn away every excuse they throw up in defense of their sin and their rebellion. And sin may be celebrated now, but that celebration will turn to everlasting sorrow when they finally stand before God in all His holiness. But for the wise, for those who are trusting in God, it will be well. Proverbs 9.10 confirms that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's where we find the interpretation of how to understand this world. When he says here that those who fear the Lord, it will be well with them. Another way of saying that is it will be good for them or pleasant or joyful. You see, sinners aren't the only ones in this passage who are celebrating. Their celebration is short-lived because God is just and holy. But there is another celebration. It is the celebration of the wise. The celebration of those who fear God. And that celebration is eternal. You see, the wise celebrate the work of God. They celebrate the one who does know all things. And in celebration, 
they understand that it begins now in the present and it carries on into eternity. Verse 15 is another repeated familiar refrain from Ecclesiastes. He says, I commend, I praise joy. For a man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and to drink and to be joyful. For this will go with him through his toil, through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So be joyful is what he is saying. Enjoy the life that God gives you. Rest in his goodness and his grace. As you go through the toil of this life. And what is that toil? Well, it is a world where you can't win every battle. And it is a world where you can't avoid every trouble and problem. And it is a world where you can't make every wrong right. That's the toil. But you can have joy in it when you feast on the goodness of God. And it is God's goodness that is revealed in His work of grace. The preacher concludes, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth and how neither day nor night do one's eyes uh, see sleep, then I saw all the work of God. That man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, however much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. He says, when I set my heart, my innermost being, on knowing wisdom, it's then that I saw the work of God. And I understood that all the work of God that He is doing, man cannot know. There are things that are a mystery to me. Things that are hidden. And that's okay. Because God is good. You see, God hasn't hidden all things. He has revealed some things. And it is in that knowledge of what He has revealed that we find that joy. It is there that we find what we need to make sense of this spinning roller coaster ride and cure the motion sickness of living in this life under the sun. No, the wise do not know everything, but they know God. And that is enough. So while the world goes on celebrating evil because injustice does exist, we who fear the Lord will celebrate our God. In fact, that is what we do every week when we gather on the Lord's Day. Sunday is a celebration, it is a party, it is a a feast, a joyous feast. Because laid before us is the mystery of God revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. Spread before us through His Word and through prayer and through praise and sacrament are the blessings of the Gospel. A rich bounty upon which we feed and find our rest and rejoice. So we don't need to pretend then that we have every answer to all that happens in this world because we don't. And we don't need to fight every battle and try to escape all trouble and solve every injustice because we can't. 
We instead need to trust our God who gives us all things through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Wisdom celebrates grace, which means that you can come here on the Lord's day when you are in Christ and cast aside your cares and your struggles and that striving to make things better in your own strength and you can lean fully in upon God who makes all things well for those who fear Him. And He will bring that light to the face. He will bring healing. He will bring His eternal justice to bear upon those who continue to do evil and He will pour out upon His grace to those who come to Him. So live in the extravagance of God's grace and celebrate with joy the work of God in your life and rest on Him who knows all things. Let us pray. Father in heaven, indeed we come before You and thank You and praise You for Your Word. There are so many things in this world that we do not understand, that we wish we did. But you can give us peace despite those uncertainties. Because you give us yourself through Christ our Lord. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to celebrate. That you would help us to rejoice even in all the chaos and the spinning and the things out of our control, that we would find that hope that is ours in the gospel of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.